Welcome back to the Tribal Brand Podcast. I am you, Winton. How are you today? It's good to have you back. I'm coming to you from MB Studios in Sumner, Washington. And it's a little bit rainy outside right now. That's why we love the Pacific Northwest. We wouldn't have it any other way. Now this is session two of the Tribal Brand Podcast and I am going to title it Scalp. Now, I'm channel surfing the other night, and I come across the movie, and it's called Navajo Joe. 1966, Burt Reynolds, in his prime, all dressed up like a real live engine, even had the tanning spray on. Nice touch. One of the problems was, though, he had a mullet hairstyle. You know, the kind that was long in the back and short on the top. Kind of like them wrestlers from the 1980s from down there in Florida and Georgia. You know the kind. And what Navajo Joe was going to do was he was going to save the whites from the Mexicans. So he proceeded to save this little town from the Mexicans who were trying to take their money. But the first act of the movie, it showed a Indian woman who was pretty clearly made up to look like a Indian woman. And she was on this narrow stream and she was what appeared to be cleaning a buckskin with a rock. And along comes this Mexican gentleman, and he stands on the bank across the stream, and he kind of smiles at her, and she looks up, and she smiles at him and gives him some sort of flirtatious look, and he proceeds to slide his jacket back to show his pistola. She screams and jumps up and runs, and he blasts her in the back. She falls down dead. He strolls across the stream, pulls out his bowie knife, and proceeds to relieve that woman of her scalp. I'm not sure why he did that, other than to tie it on the reins of his horse. And off they went, down the river, to continue to kill and maim. It reminded me of one of those old spaghetti western movies that Clint Eastwood did in the 60s. And you know why they called them spaghetti westerns because they made them in Italy and that's where spaghetti was invented man so it got me thinking about when was the whole scalp taking invented now I'm pretty sure that the historians would say that it started in Europe in fact in Europe they would take the whole head and then when they came over here they decided well we take the whole head then it's kind of a messy thing. We'll just take the scalp. I'm pretty sure that the Indians did that with other tribes in battle to show, yes, I killed I killed them. They're dead. But they never got paid for it. And that's what got me thinking, man, how much did they make for a scalp from a real live Indian? Or should I say a dead Indian now? So in 1703 there was a trading company in Massachusetts that would pay $60 for one Indian scalp. Now $60 back in 1703 was something like 3500 bucks. That's a lot of coin back then. I'm sure there were fortunes made. In fact, there's probably people still living off that fortune from 1703. And this went on to 1756 where in the Pennsylvania Territory there was a governor, and his name was 
Mr. Morris. And he says, this is what we're going to do. For any male above the age of 12, we're going to pay 130 pieces of eight. And for any women and children under the age of 12, we're going to pay 50 pieces of eight. And apparently, one piece of eight is like a Spanish peso. Now, one Spanish peso probably wasn't worth that much. But if you add 130 pesos, that's probably a goodly bucket of change, if you know what I'm saying. Another problem was this. They couldn't tell whether they were killing a peaceful savage or one of the savage savages. And they couldn't tell whether they were bringing in scalps from a child or a woman or a man. Couldn't really tell the difference. And then they couldn't deny the fact that they were actually trying to bring the Indian people to extinction. There was no denying the fact. There was no getting around the fact that they were actually trying to exterminate a race of human beings. And that's the way it was. This was just a few of the trading posts over on the East Coast. Just imagine what it might have been like all over North America at the time. In fact, I think they were getting more money for the scalps than they were getting for gold back then. And besides that, it was easier to take a scalp than it was to go dig and mine for gold. For God's sakes, you don't want to work that hard for your money. You all know where redskins came from? It didn't come from the Indian, it came from the Indian scalps. Now you can kind of see why some of them Indians don't like the Washington Redskins because it's an actual insult to the heritage of all American Indians. I mean, just imagine at a Redskin game if that Indian dude on the horse comes riding out from the tunnel with several Indian scalps tied onto the reins of his horse. Now that would be insane. It just couldn't happen today, but it could happen 250 years ago and nobody would blink an eye. And who is this Chief Wahoo from the Cleveland Indians? Who is that joker? Who is that character? Come on, man. I've never seen an Indian look like that. Never. It's time for that one to go, for sure. I don't mind the Kansas City Chiefs because... The Chiefs is a little bit more noble, but I don't even know if that's a real Indian word. I don't know if that comes from the Indian vocabulary. I think that might come from the white folk. Yep, it does. comes from the French. means leader or something like that. So I think that the Indian language probably had a different word for leader. I'll have to look that up, and once I find it, I will let you all know... But the one thing that really, really needs to go away is the tomahawk chop. That one is pathetic. You have 50,000 people doing some chant, acting like they're chopping with a tomahawk. You white folks had axes and hatchets, not a tomahawk. The tomahawk comes from the Algonquin Indians. And the tomahawk was a bad-ass tool. It wasn't just for killing. It was made out of stone, wood handle, wrapped in leather. A very useful tool. But I'm pretty sure if 
a few skulls need to be cracked, they didn't have an aversion for such practices. Now the Algonquins, they were a mixture of about 22 different tribes, all wrapped into one. The most popular, of course, was the Mohawken Indians, and of course the ever-so-popular Mohawk hairstyle, which was made even more popular in the 60s and 70s punk rock movement. But the truth was, the Mohawk hairstyle's been around for a couple thousand years. They found some dude in some bog over in Ireland that was well over 2,000 years old and wore the same hairstyle. So it can't really be called a Mohawk, it's just a haircut. Whatever the case may be, that hairstyle is definitely the look of a warrior. If I could get away with wearing one of those now, I would do it. But in my line of work, just probably would scare too many of the buyers and vendors. You see, my line of work is a superintendent. And it's my job to make sure the house is done from the dirt all the way through the roof and everything in between. It's a pride-swallowing siege to deal with buyers sometimes because buyers can be very, 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 very picky. And they will lie and they will cheat to get what they want. But it doesn't just stop there. Oh, no, no, no. Fellow superintendents and assistant superintendents will lie on you and toss you under the bus as quickly as you turn your back. Yes, it's true. Human beings, for some reason, have that nature. It's probably been going on since the caveman days when Joe Caveman said, Hey man, look over there. It's a bird. And as soon as you turn your back, he steals your woman. It's the same thing with work. They'll steal your job and they'll do anything and say anything to cover their own ass. They'll act like they're in denial. Or they'll say, Hey, they didn't show me how to do that. They didn't show me how to do that, man. I I didn't know I had to do that. And what that really means is they're telling your bosses that you didn't do your job and show them how to do that, when in fact, you did show them how to do that. You held their hand and walked them through it, but they were too lazy to do their job. So if I seem a little bit agitated and a little bit butthurt is because I am. I just got laid off with somewhere around 35 other people and I did a damn good job for Mr. White. So here I am updating my resume, sending it out, crossing my fingers and hoping I get that call for a sit down. I've come to realize over the past five years the corporate world has no loyalty. I will go to the mat For any company that hires me and gives me that opportunity, I'm loyal to a fault. And that's probably my problem. Every company I work for, I give them my heart, my soul, everything I have. And then when it's time, you're one of the first to go. And that's because I'm not, quote, one of the boys, unquote. Or maybe it's just because I'm getting old. And you know what they do to the old folks in this country? Toss you to the curb. Not like the Indians. The Indians take care of their elders. They revere their elders. They respect the elders. They take care of the elders. And when it's dinner time, they serve the elders. But not in this day and age. When you sit down with family, watch the younger generation serve themselves. 
and walk away. What you're supposed to do is dish up your grandparents, dish up your uncles and aunts, serve your mothers and fathers. It's really not that much to ask for, man. I'm reminded of a time when my wife Peggy and I were invited over to her second to the oldest daughter's house for dinner a few years back, and they all served themselves, and her husband, in fact, served me and didn't serve my wife. He just walked away. She was crushed. I was crushed. They owe me nothing. They owe her everything. My wife sacrificed 20 years of her life to see that her children were raised well, and they were. None of them drink or smoke or do anything like that. And to this day, my wife would give her life protecting those children, like the she-bear would die protecting her cubs. I never did understand why my wife's children treat her the way they do. I had a horrible upbringing, and I would never, ever disrespect my mother like that. I'll get off my soapbox now, but the only thing left I have to say about that is, shame on you, you dirty little birds. So I get a little text last night from my niece, and out of nowhere, my younger sister contacts her and wants to go out to lunch. Now this is a sister who disowned a family well over 30 years ago, so immediately I am suspect. She married a well-to-do white guy who lived on the other side of the tracks and disowned the family and for the last 35 years has nothing to do with me and there was really no answer for it. There was never really any, hey, this is why I've done this. It's just, adios, amigo. So right away I'm I'm thinking, okay, she wants something. Well, my niece texted me last night and I said, she wants to be an Indian, right? And she said, yeah, she wants to be an Indian because her daughter's going to college and it's too expensive. I can't afford to send her to college. Now I want to be an Indian. The fact of the matter is, you're, you're still an Indian. It's just your children cannot be enrolled as an Indian because the quantum is too low now. See, we can only be enrolled as a quarter And now that would make your children one-eighth. And one-eighth engine ain't quite enough. So now, little sister, you're just going to have to suck it up and be that white person you've always wanted to be. Get loans, get grants, do what you have to do to send that child to college. You're not going to get that benefit. And as far as I'm concerned, the only benefit that I've had to be an Indian is I only have to shave once a week. Don't have much body hair. One of my old bosses one time made the comment that my arms had no hair and it reminded him of a Mexican chihuahua. So I said back, well, that's just because I'm more highly evolved than you white people. Ooh, he didn't like that very much. He got kind of pissed off. I thought it was pretty funny. I mean, let's be real, man. When the Europeans came over here, they were... Really, really hairy. Probably freaked the Indians out pretty good. I mean, who were really the savages? I remember one time, I'm maybe 20, 21, and my older sister says to me, Pat, man, you really look like an Indian. You look like a savage. I must admit at the time, my hair was long and I had a red do-rag on. 
maybe look more like an Apache, but I can hardly believe my ears. We shared the same mother and father and ancestors, and she said that to me, but of course she never really wanted to be an Indian. In fact, she told me many times that Indians were dirty, Indians were drunks, Indians were no good. That might be because she looked more white than Indian. But how was this supposed to make me feel when I looked in the mirror and saw an Indian? Thinking back now, I could kind of see her point. Because I was that drunk. I was that drunken Indian, and nobody likes a drunken Indian. You see, I had my first taste of alcohol when I'm five years old. We're all over at my Auntie Nidra's house, and back then, everybody drank. All the adults drank, and Eugene Reed walks in with a six-pack of Schmidt beer, also known as animal beer. And being the little smartass that I was, I said, I'll bet you I could drink one of those beers and not get drunk like you guys. All right, you little smartass, he says. You're going to drink this beer. You're going to drink the whole beer. And he cracks it open. I bring it to my mouth, and I taste it, and it, oh my God, it tasted like shit. But it didn't take long until I started to feel good. In fact, it was amazing. I get about halfway through this one can of beer and I'm pretty tipsy. I'm feeling dizzy. I'm rocking back and forth. I'm giggling. And then pretty soon I start feeling sick. And mom comes up and she says, here, let me have some. So she tries to drink some and Gene says, oh no, he's going to finish it. So I finish the beer and I'm drunk. A drunken little five-year-old Indian. Alcohol given to me by a white man. I don't recall drinking again till I'm about 14 years old when I went back to live with my mother. And that's when the alcohol and the alcoholism really began. But that's a story for a different day. Before I wrap it up, I want to mention a name. And his name is Nathan Phillips. Now, Nathan Phillips is an Omaha Indian... And he was with some other Indians over at the Lincoln Memorial last week. And they were having a peaceful gathering, chanting and singing and the beating of drums. Nathan Phillips was trying to walk up to the memorial and he was blocked by one of them white male protesters who, by the way, were protesting against abortions, who were protesting for life and he would not move He stood there with a ridiculous smirk on his face, blocking access to Nathan Phillips. Now, after this was all done, the whites were in a frenzy, dancing and chanting and singing and laughing and clapping, thinking that we're just having a good old time here. Nathan Phillips broke into tears and explaining his fear, explaining his fear for our future fear for those children. He explained he was afraid that if he touched that smirking little white fella, all hell would have broken loose because it was a frenzy. He explained how we don't need walls. There never were walls. So in the end, I wept for him. I wept for his mother, his father, his ancestors, and my ancestors. I don't understand who teaches our children to act this way. Who teaches their child that this is okay, man? I want you to go out there. I want you to put on that red hat that reads, Make America Great Again and protest. 
I want you to scream and holler and dance and sing and act a fool. Is this our America today? Is this how we want other countries to see the way our youngsters are behaving? That's our future. So today I do commend Nathan Phillips for his courage to stand up for what he believes in. The man fought for this country in Vietnam, for God's sakes. Give him a little bit of respect. So what did we learn today? Well, we learned that you can sell an Indian scalp back in 1703 for $60, which in today's money is like $3,512.32. And that, my friends, is a lot of pesos. And yes, I know, we learned that I cannot pronounce the word Massachusetts. I slaughtered that word. My apologies, Brian. Go Chiefs. We also learned that some people want to be an Indian only to accept certain benefits that the government will give you if you're enrolled. And did you know, by the way, that American Indians are the only people on the planet that I know of that have to be enrolled like a dog or a horse? You see, a dog or a horse, you have to have papers. So I guess, since I'm enrolled, I'm a papered Indian. It's been a pleasure ranting and raving to you. I'm going to go and enjoy the Kansas City Chiefs play the New England Patriots. Does anyone else see the irony in that? Anyway, I am Winton. This has been the Tribal Brand Podcast. Peace.